You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Good morning. How are you today? You you look good. You sounded great when you were worshiping. <clears throat> That's a good indication. Ah, what a privilege and a, a pleasure it is to be here today. Uh, I want you to know that uh, Cammie, my wife, and I have been praying for you over the past weeks. Uh, we have a, a firm confidence that God is in control. Uh, he has a great plan, uh, and he will reveal it. you believe that? Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, um, I ask you how you are, but, you know, that's a common question that's asked of me these days. And I'll tell you why. Some of you may know and some of you may not. Um, 2017 was a very challenging year for us. I won't go into detail about that except to say that last May 3rd, um, unexpectedly, uh, I was told that I was in heart failure. And it really caught us completely off guard. There were some issues going on. We thought there was some problems, maybe an infection in my lungs, but that proved not to be. The real problem was that my uh, chest cavity and, and uh, heart cavity was filled with fluid and um, just a, a vast variety of things. But to make a long story short, to answer the question, how am I doing? God is really faithful. And the doctor's reports just continue to get better and better and better. And I feel the best that I felt in some five years. God's healing power is very true. So could you just join me in thanking God for that? Um, Something that, can I brag a little bit, not on me, uh, but uh, uh, just something I want to do. Uh, Cammie and I, over the past uh, two and a half years, have had the pleasure of becoming grandparents. How many grandparents are in the room? Grandparents, there's nothing like it, is there? It's so much fun. And then you get to send them home after you spoil them. Uh, we have two grandchildren, uh, the sons of our, our son, Adam Wilson, Adam and Rachel. You, many of you know Adam. Um, I just happened to have some pictures. I thought you might want to see them, so I, I brought them. Uh, let's show a couple of pictures. This is, this is Reed. He's two and a half years old. Look at this handsome little kid. This is after his very first formal haircut, not a mom haircut, but he went to the, he calls it the Baba shop. And uh, look at how he struck that pose. The sucker somehow just sets off the attitude. He is so much fun. He's in that time. He's saying funny things. He mixes his words up. He's just, it's so much fun. There's so much I could say. This is his little brother, Elias Bascom. He looks like a little troll or a little frog or something, doesn't he? He's, he's a chubby little thing. He's just, you can see the rolls. He was actually born on Christmas Day. He came a few weeks early. Uh, he's, oh, it was okay. But what a great surprise this was for us, and what a great Christmas gift. He's fun, too, obviously not talking and saying funny things, but he will. And then here's just a picture of two loving brothers. We're praying it stays that way. Uh, things can change, but not in this case. Aren't they cute? And, and you know what? I, there's so much I could say. I could talk about them all day, but that's not why I'm here. But I did want to brag a little bit. But instead, I'm going to pray before we dive into the message this morning. Would you join me? Father, thank you for every person that's here today. Thank you for your presence in this place today. And so in the next little while, we ask that by your spirit, you transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would take 
the words that I speak and let them be your words and that you would use your word to transform us so that we can be like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, last weekend when we were all together and we celebrated the resurrection, we did some affirmation. We affirmed that Jesus, being sent from God, willingly came. He lived a life just like you and I, yet without sin. He died a very brutal death on the cross. He died in our place. He took our place on the cross. And then he, uh, three days later, the, we know that the, the tomb couldn't hold him. And he experienced resurrection life through the power of, of God. And we're going to read about that in a little bit. Can we thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's not something that we celebrate once a year, but it's something that we celebrate on a daily basis because we're called to live a resurrection life. So you and I now have the ability to look back on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we can do it with a full understanding of the gospel. And we can do that because we've had revelation by the Holy Spirit. And so we've been able to, in fact, the word says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will and that being through Jesus Christ. So we, we have this revelation of the gospel and um, it, it causes us, it relieves a great burden for us. I'm so thankful that his mission has been made known to us because now we don't have to go around trying to figure out a mission for the church. We don't have to figure it out because God's mission existed before the universe was ever formed. So we're not burdened to do that. And we don't even have to figure out a personal mission because God's mission is our mission. And it existed before the universe was ever formed. And not only is God a missional God, but God is a sending God. For you and I, the only thing that we need to recognize is that God is always at work around us, and he invites us to join in with him with what he's already doing in his mission. And his mission was given by Jesus shortly before his ascension. We find it in Matthew 28, and it's simply go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's God's mission. God's mission is very simple. God's mission is the reconciliation of mankind, the redemption of mankind to him. I mentioned that God is ascending God. What does it mean to say that God is ascending God? Because it's very important for us if we're going to be on mission in our lives. Well, think of it this way. God's mission existed before the universe was formed, and God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to secure the fulfillment of his mission. And that mission, again, was the redemption and the reconciliation of mankind to him. Now, Jesus sent the church to carry out his mission, and that mission is the redemption and the reconciliation of mankind 
to God. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church to carry out that mission and be his agents. Do you get it? God is a missional God and God is a sending God. God's mission existed before the earth was ever formed, before the universe was formed. He sent Jesus. Jesus sent the church and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church to be his agents. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So we can look back and we, we get it. We may not understand every single element, but we get it because it's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. But I wonder, was that the case with the disciples just after the resurrection? Did they really get what was going on? I can't help but think, in fact, we know that there was a a sense of bewilderment and confusion. From their point of view, their perspective, it wasn't quite so clear-cut. Sure, they were excited about the resurrection, but I think that they had a lot of questions. Um, There was this just sense of, what's, what's, what's going on? To me, it would be like maybe in my imagination that they would say, what's going on? You, you were here. We, we, we had this perception that you were going to be the Savior that was going to save us from the tyranny of Rome. That's where they were off base, right? And then we put all of our hope in you, and you died. You could have come off the cross, but you chose not to. You died. You were buried. And now you're here. What now? We're... We're a little confused. I think even when we consider the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, we, we see that sense of bewilderment and excitement. I think we see it in his appearance to Mary Magdalene. I think we see it uh, in the appearance to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. We read about their confusion. They just weren't sure until the very end. They reckon, oh, that's who that is. And then we see it in the, uh, his appearance to the 11 disciples. We most certainly see it in his appearance to Thomas. I, I'm, I'm going to have to let me put my fingers in the nail holes. Uh, that sounds like bewilderment and, and, and confusion to me. They just weren't sure. I, I think they all had a question. You were here, then you weren't, and now you're here. What now? And then there's Peter. I find it very interesting that when the angel spoke to the women at the tomb, that the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why was was Peter singled out? Could it be that the one to whom Jesus had said, On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the one who said, Jesus, you can count on me. I'll never deny you. And the same one who not only denied him once, but denied him three times, had now some, he was estranged. And suddenly the question of what now has even greater significance for Peter. He's really trying to figure out what now. You said you were going to build a church. I mean, you changed my name, and I've denied you, and what, 
now. I didn't expect you to come back. And that's despite the fact that Jesus had told them what was going to happen. And here they are. I think John chapter 21 gives some insight into it. I'm not going to actually turn there. Let me see if I can just paraphrase what's going on. It's that great chapter where Peter is reinstated to Jesus. So what we find is Peter and five other disciples, and they decide to go fishing. And for, in fact, in verse 3 of, of, of John chapter 21, Peter says, I am going out to fish. They fish, and they don't count anything. Suddenly someone on the shore calls out to them and says, Hey, uh, have you caught anything? No, put your nets on the other side of the boat. And they pull up their nets, and they're full. I think what is 150-some-odd fish, 158 maybe fish that are in there. And then John suddenly recognizes that's, that's Jesus. And Peter puts on his robe and he jumps, he swims to the shore. The others are left there rowing the boat, towing the nets with all the fish in it. And they get there and Jesus says, do you have any breakfast and any fish? And, and they say, well, actually, yeah. And so he, they bring some of the fish. And then, and then we see where Jesus very lovingly restores Peter. And it would seem like, and it is, the focus of that chapter, but I find very interesting, verse 3, that Peter said, I'm going to go fish. You know, when Jesus initially called Peter, he said, Peter, from now on, I'm going to make you fisher of men. What did Peter do? He left his boat, he left his nets, and he followed Jesus, and he entered into a, a school for the next three years, a school of discipleship. And he learned how to do ministry. He learned the power uh, that was available through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus didn't call Peter to go backwards. He didn't call him to go back to fishing. He called him to go forward. And we do see, if we continue to follow Peter, that he did go forward. We see him pursuing God's mission. When we look in Luke chapter 2, uh, uh, verse, verses 42 through 49, we see where uh, there's this catalyst that moves him forward, a spiritual catalyst. It says that Jesus opened their eyes to the Scriptures, speaking to the disciples. Suddenly they, there was an understanding that they had not had. And then he gave them a directive. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for your power source. And so we know that they did. And then fast forward to the day of Pentecost. Peter, who was always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times. Peter, who couldn't figure it out or ever just seemed to get it quite right. Now was empowered and standing literally before the nations who had gathered that day. And he is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in such power that that day 3,000 people believed and were added to the church. Because of that empowerment, the church was birthed. And it's the very reason that you and I are here today. You see, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the beginning of a new era for Peter. He would start living his life a brand new way. But the truth of the matter is, is that the death and resurrection of, of Jesus was the beginning of a new era for all people. What happened in Jerusalem that day has now impacted the entire world and continues to. So in the same way that the death and resurrection of Jesus was Peter's what now answer to his what now question, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the answer to our what now question.
I hope you know you've asked that before. What now? What now? And so it's with understanding that we find the answer to our what now question. And I know this is going to sound repetitive to you, but our what now is found in understanding that God is a missional God and that God's mission existed before the universe was ever formed and that God's mission has always been the redemption and the reconciliation of mankind to himself. He knew the choices that man was going to make. That's never changed. It was always there. And not only is God a missional God, but God is a sending God. God sent Jesus to secure the fulfillment of the mission. Jesus sent the church to carry out the mission, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the church in carrying out that mission as his agents. And as his agents, it's back to Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what our life is actually supposed to be about every day. I fear that we lose sight of that. We get caught up in so much... There's a whole other message I could teach and I won't. We've been called to be missional people. We've actually been called to be sending people. That not only are we carrying out the message, but we're raising up others, and we're, whether it's your children or whomever, and we're sending them out with the message of the gospel so that they would influence everyone that they come in contact to. So this is what we've been called to do, but how do we do it? You find this in your notes. To believe in Jesus' death and resurrection must change who we are and how we live. The faith is not just something to profess. It's a life that we're called to live. So how do we do it? How do we live this resurrection life? How do we live a life in resurrection power? And so that's what I want to do is I want to take just the the next few minutes and I want to talk to you about four aspects of resurrection life. And I want to go ahead and tell you, um, there's so much that I could personally say about this. There's so much verbiage that I could have created, but I'm going to limit what I say, and I just want to let the Word speak for itself today. You know, here's a little side sermon. Uh, In the church at large, so when I say this, I'm not picking on a particular church, but in the church at large, it seems like we've gotten into a habit, a fad, a trend. We we spend so much time incessantly talking as teachers that we don't allow the Word to speak. And, and instead of really teaching from the Word, we find topics. And I'm not, hear, hear me out. I, I'm not putting that, I think that there's a right time and a right place. That's, that's never bad, but it can't be the norm. And so when I was preparing, I just felt like the Lord said, let, let the Word speak. It's not that I'm not going to say anything. That would be too hard for a teacher preacher, right? I find plenty to say, and I'm sure some of it will slip out. But we're going to look at four aspects of resurrection life. And honestly, I'm only going to talk about three of them because I've already talked about one of them incessantly, telling you what the Word said. So this is what we're in for. So um, if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do in some form. It might be a good old Bible. It could be electronic. Uh, As we get there, uh, please feel free to to turn with me or, or slide with me if you're on your phone. And, um, and follow along. I'll try to make sure that, that we're able to do that. So resurrection life. 
What does it mean to live a resurrection life? Well, first of all, to live a resurrection life means to live in Christ. To live in Christ. Ultimately, in life, life boils down to two choices. We can live in sin, which comes with dire consequences, right? Uh, To live in sin means um, heartache, uh, discontentment, chaos, confusion, you name it. If it's negative, it comes with sin, but ultimately death. Or we can choose to live in Christ. And when we live in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at it in just a moment, in Christ we've been provided with every spiritual blessing under heaven. It's already been given to us. Isn't that pretty incredible? We don't have to look for it. It's already been given to us because we choose to be in Christ and he chose us. And then along with that comes internal, eternal life, our inheritance in heaven. That, that, why would somebody choose anything else? But however they do, right? And that's why we have to go into all the world and teach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because there's so many people who don't know, who have not made that choice, yet need to. That's our mission. So, um, to live in Christ is to live a a resurrection life. I think baptism is the perfect image of what that looks like. Um, Think about baptism. You walk into the water, and as you're standing there, symbolically, it represents the old person before Christ. And then the pastor or whomever plugs your nose plunges you under, but what are, what's happening? You're identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. You're actually identifying that I, I died with him. He took my place on the cross, and so therefore I die with him. But then what happens, thankfully, he doesn't or she doesn't keep you under there too long, right? You're raised to new life. And it's that new life that we're called to live in. So what does the scripture say about it? Um, Would you look with me first at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse (coughs) 4. Romans 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we identify with Christ, and so therefore we have new life. Look over at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, happen to be, I I would classify them as my my favorite passage of Scripture. I don't think that there's a message that I've ever developed that didn't somehow I would manage to work this into it. Listen, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, listen to this, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That you may also appear with him in glory. Do you get that? What a great picture. That my life is actually hidden away, your life hidden away with Christ in God. Isn't that great security? And that's what it means to live in Christ. Uh, Would you look at Acts chapter 17, verse 28? 
Acts 17.28. Told you we were going to turn a lot. Acts 17.28. Paul is speaking to uh, the Athenians at Mars Hill, and he says, as he's relating to them on some common ground, he's identified an altar they have with an inscription that says to an unknown God. And as he's presenting the gospel, he says in verse uh, 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We're his offspring. We're in Christ. We're his offspring because we're in Christ. He's the very source, maintainer, and saint, uh, sustainer of our life. And finally, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, listen to this, in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight in love. He predestined us to be adopted as His sons, through Jesus Christ, in, according, in accordance with the pleasure and will, uh, His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times had reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with, his, with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Do you get it? Where are we? In Him, in Christ. Every spiritual blessing has been made available. I think that one's pretty clear, so let's move on. How do you live in the resurrection life? Uh, to live the resurrection life is to live in power. It's to live in power. Um, what does Scripture say? Look at Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What do we receive? Power. Let's look at Acts, just over Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, that, that really happened. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Somebody said, I don't know, a little scary to me. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 39. Same chapter, uh, verse 39. 
Uh, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, uh, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You know, so many people say that doesn't exist today, that, that cessationalist. When I look at this passage of Scripture, it says this is for you. So he was talking to those who were there that day. For your children, which means to the next generation, and for the generations to come. I didn't see there's a stopping place. It's for the generations and the generations and the generations and the generations to come. And thankfully, we are included in those generations. And we have that resurrection power. And we can experience the same thing that they experienced on the day of Pentecost, that being baptized in filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, with signs and wonders following. I hope you desire it. It's not some contrived, self-reliant, ordinary power that we muster up. It's much greater. It's much, much greater. This power is resurrection power. It's the same power that Paul, uh, as he prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. And then he goes on to say, to know the power that is available to you, it's the same power that God exerted in raising Christ from the dead. You know what he was saying? In you, you have resurrection power. It's not ordinary power. To live in this power means to confidently rest in his ability. The Holy Spirit does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And John, when it talks about the comforter will come, that word is, in Greek is uh, the word paraclete, and it means advocate. It's a legal term. And it literally means that the Holy Spirit comes and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's why we don't have to muster up our own ability, because we've already been given this source. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our coach, and our source of power. And then the third aspect is that to live the resurrection life is to live in the faith. To live in the faith. Notice I didn't say to live by faith or to live in faith. Those are different concepts. They're right concepts. We need to have those. To live by faith is a Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. We need that. We must have that. But that's not what we're talking about here. To live in the faith is about a lifestyle. It's about something that we do every day. And it's about continually being transformed into the image of Jesus. Only two passages here. Um, Again, in Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we have a great picture of what the lifestyle looks like. When it speaks of the first church, it says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching." and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave uh, to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved. So what we have there is a picture of what living in the faith looks like. It's a lifestyle that says we have community, we have fellowship with the believers, we're in a constant state of praise and worship, that we're sharing what we have, that signs and wonders follow us in our daily life. That's that's what the lifestyle is about. But finally, I want you to look at um, Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2. And and here it's about identifying with Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did in very nature... Uh, who, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, but at the name of that at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Um, if you were sitting in a seminary class right now, the professor would talk about the kenosis of Jesus. Uh, you probably know what that means. I'm not going to assume you don't, but let me just break it down. It just means he emptied himself. So the model that we are following is that you and I are supposed to have a personal kenosis every day. That every day that we are willing to empty ourselves of who we think we are so that we can identify like Christ. We empty ourselves and we take on the form of a servant. Not just the form, but we take that on as a lifestyle, serving others before ourselves. That's what emptying ourselves is all about. And then finally, how do you live the resurrection life? You live on mission. And let's face it, I've already spent a lot of time talking about this. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I think I got the point across. But we must be people who live life on mission. It's very important. So this has caused me to think. Four, four elements, four aspects of the, revel, of the resurrection life. And you could interpret those things as things we need to do. I need to do in Christ. I need to do on mission. I need to do, I need to do, I need to do. Can I say to you this morning that in order to get it right, we have to recognize it's not about doing, but it's about being. We spend so much time doing that we miss out on the being. I think uh, I can speak on Cammie's behalf as well as mine. For the past year or more, uh, we've, we've pondered a lot. We've, we've really put out before the Lord all the things that we do. And they're pretty grand. Let, let, me, say, let me explain what I mean. You know, for the past at least 20 years, I don't think that I've missed a year doing the life journal and checking off my list to make sure that I have read my Bible through the year. If I were to show you all my journals, you would not see a missed checkbox. If I missed, I made it up the next day. But the problem is, is that we both realized we became so busy in checking off the list and trying to do our spiritual disciplines that we weren't allowing our spiritual disciplines to allow us to be intimately engaged in relationship with God. So you know what, this year, I'm not reading my Bible through the year. I'm reading my Bible, but it looks very different. Actually, most of my Bible reading is coming from something that's filled with Scripture. It's called the Paraclete Psalter. And it's a revisit to some of the 
the traditions of the church that date back thousands of years, hundreds of years. And in that, I'm finding a refreshing because for both of us, we've, we've, we've relieved ourselves of the legalism of doing. And I know there's all kinds of theological debates. Faith without works is dead. You are right. But there's a balance. I got tired of not being able to hear God because I was doing. I, I, I wonder if God got tired of hearing me incessantly talk without listening. So, so we, we made some changes. And you know what? Guess what? There are some days I don't read my Bible. God still loves me. So the point I'm making is don't get so caught up in the doing that you actually miss the being of the resurrection life. Allow yourself to break out of the mold and find out what God is called. Because honestly, if we're, we're, we're trying to learn how to practice the disciplines of silence. It's hard. I got so many monkeys in my head. And when I practice silence, I think of things I haven't thought of in years. But I'm working at it. And I'm working on what it means to meditate on the Scripture. I'm learning what it means to not pray for myself, but to pray for others. And I have a firm conviction that when we can get to that place, then all of the other things fall into place. The resurrection life falls into place because we let God reveal it to us. And that's my prayer for you this morning. In fact, would you bow your heads? I I just want to pray that over you as I close. Father, I ask that you break us free from the legalism. I pray that you um, help us to know you in a new way. I pray that you would um, help us to embrace the power of the resurrection life and all that it means, but help us to see it in a being sense and not a doing sense. Father, give us a new vision of you. I want you to listen with your heads bowed, your eyes closed as I read you a a prayer from the Paraclete Psalter. O living and eternal God, you are more ready to give than we are to ask. Grant us a new vision of yourself that seeing you as you are, we may desire you. And desiring you, we may surrender our lives to you. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. That's my message to you this morning. I pray that your life would just be transformed by the power of Jesus and not by any words that I've spoken. Would you stand? I'm not sure how you normally end your service, but this is how you're ending it today. God bless you. Go out of this place recognizing that you are in Christ and that you live in resurrection power and tell everyone you know about it. Be on mission with God. God bless you. Have a great day. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.